And good morning, church. I'm delighted to have the privilege of being able to share with you this morning. And I want to thank you, Pastor Chad, for the opportunity of being here. You kindly referenced the fact that this is the first time I have a chance to preach here. But uh, I want to say that over the last 10 years, uh, Candace and I have been richly blessed. And this church, this congregation, has been extremely supportive of Hope Channel and its various ministries. And we thank you for that very, very much. So. Uh, I feel that I've preached here many times <laughs> and participated, and I'm very grateful for that. And uh, what a joy and a privilege it is to come here this morning to be able to worship on God's holy Sabbath day, to be reminded that He is our creator, that He cares for us, He sustains us, that uh, He is our Savior, the one who has provided righteousness for us, forgiveness, acceptance in, the, uh, in heaven, and he is our great hope of our coming king. So I am so grateful this morning that we can, uh, can have that privilege of coming to worship this morning. And Pastor Chad, I want to thank you for your leadership, for your spirituality. Uh, you know, there's a degree of butterflies that come to the stomach, I think, of any speaker who is uh, anticipating coming here. And last night I got this, uh, this message from him. He, uh, he wrote to me uh, on my message of 7.55 p.m., I'm praying for your sermon tomorrow, sleep well. So, <laughs> thank you, Pastor Chad. I appreciate that greeting and that encouragement. And I, I want to tell you, I did sleep real well. <laughs> so, thank the Lord for that. Just a word about Hope Channel that, uh, that I'd like to just, ex again, express our appreciation for your prayers and support for this ministry around the world. You know, 11, 12 years ago when we began Hope Channel, it was a single channel. And today we have, by the end of this year, 43 separate channels that will be broadcast via satellite and via the internet. And it's because of the prayers and support of folk like you that make that possible. The important thing to recognize in that 43 channels is that those represent different individual target audiences, different cultures, and different languages. And it represents when you consider uh, 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days of the year, a tremendous amount of teamwork that has been going on around the world creating these programs that share the good news of Jesus coming again. So thank you for your prayers and for your support. Uh, God is blessed. And I'd like to uh, encourage, because I've, I've had a number of you come to me over the months and years say to me, well, you know, uh, here on the local cable st station we can't get Hope Channel. Thankfully, we can get 3ABN, but we can't get Hope Channel. And uh, they want to know how to get it. Well, it's available on streaming video on your computer. Um, it's available on a dedicated satellite. But I want to recommend to you a little box like this called Roku. Costs about $50, $60. Delivers Hope Channel and about four or 500 other channels in high definition. And it's a one-time fee. You plug it in. Uh, to your system, and if you already have internet, it's uh, part of the internet service. So you can get Hope Channel very easily this way, and I'd like to encourage you to, uh, to do that. I just want to share a little testimony of, of another momentous thing that has happened this week. Maybe you're not aware of it. Some of you recognize the name of Dr. Agatha Thrash, uh, one of the co-founders of, uh, of Uchi Pines Institute. Several years ago, her husband passed away, and this past week, Pastor, uh, Dr. Agatha uh, died, and her funeral will be tomorrow. 
Uh, Yuchi Pines and the, and the influence of uh, the thrash has been very significant throughout North America and around the world in many regards. The thrilling thing about the thrash's influence to me comes from how God worked in their life. Maybe some of you are not aware that Dr. Calvin and Dr. Agatha were not raised as Christians, and in fact, after their university experience, they were agnostic atheists. Dr. Agatha claimed to be an atheist. And one day, there was a little uh, advertisement that came in the mail advertising some Bible studies on the topic of prophecy. And being an intellectually curious person, she said, well, I've got to check this out. And if these Christians and this Bible is of interest, I'd like to learn a little bit more about it. And she sat down and she said, in retrospect, uh, the Bible study wasn't that interesting, but the subject matter gripped my mind, and the rest is history. God changed and transformed her and her husband from being atheists to being tremendous missionaries for him, and so we praise God for that uh, influence, and we thank the Lord for the blessing that they've been. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'd like to just remind you of one of the things that are happening with Hope Channel. This week we began broadcasting in New Zealand on the preliminary test broadcast where the broadcast is going to go to every home in the island of uh, New Zealand. And so please be praying for some of these tremendous developments that are taking place. Let's bow our heads in prayer before we begin. Gracious Father, we pause before we come to the study of your word, asking that you would please open our hearts and speak to us about what you are really like. Grace my mind and my lips, I humbly ask in Jesus' name, amen. Some time ago, I was giving a Bible study to a person, and the topic was, how do you pray? How should a person pray? And uh, so I was using my Bible, and went through different passages, and I referenced the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And I talked about the whole concept of how we should pray and how Jesus invites us to come to him and to uh, pray to the Father by saying, Our Father which art in heaven. And as I described how Jesus was inviting us to think of our, heaven, our Heavenly Father as a positive earthly father, I saw a rather hard look come into the eyes of the individual, and a moment later, in a pause of the discussion, they said to me, Brad, if God is like my earthly father, I want absolutely nothing to do with him. Nothing. And you could catch the bitterness and the pain in their voice. Tragically, our Heavenly Father has been misrepresented in many ways. But we want to consider this morning our Father which art in heaven. Last week, Pastor Chad led us in the study of and a series that he's presenting on the Lord's Prayer. And he focused particularly on the expression, Hallowed be thy name, how we are to come to God respectfully. But how do we understand what God is like? When life gets difficult, if you're a, a lady and you have three children and your husband abandons you, and here you are left with little or no support, is God on your side? Is he simply 
neutral or is he your enemy? A few uh, months ago, I had a surprising experience, and many of you can relate to this, maybe in a different way. I, absolutely no pain, no symptoms whatsoever, but it was discovered that I had lung cancer and they had to remove one of the lobes of my lung. And uh, I thank the Lord that it was a typical carcinoid, which is a good cancer to have. My prognosis is very positive, good. But when all of a sudden you come out of anesthesia and you've been told before going into this surgery that it is not cancer, and they come out and they say, well, excuse us, but you do have cancer, and that big C word has uh, some reverberations that are not altogether positive, you say, God, are you on my side or are you my, my enemy? Maybe you've had financial reverses. And you're isolated and alone. And the question is, where is God in position to me? What is he really like? And I'm convinced this morning, <laughs> and I trust that you'll be patient with me, but I'm convinced this morning that God is not fair. I, I sincerely say that. I don't believe that God is fair. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me and I want you to see from the scriptures where God is very clearly presented as not being fair. And I want us to understand what the Our Father, at least a partial answer, that is found in the scriptures. So take your Bibles please and turn with me to, uh, to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke to this well-known well story. In fact, it's the most uh, popular well-known story that Jesus told of his parables and in this chapter many of you have studied it many many times some of you maybe have not heard about it so I'm going to just briefly give a resume of this uh, Luke chapter 15 there are three stories and first of all Jesus is accused of being a person who mingles with sinners he received sinners and he tells this story he says of the man who had a hundred sheep and uh, he wanders out all the, around the pastures, the hillsides, the mountainsides during the day. He comes back, and as a good shepherd, he counts his sheep, and he discovers that one is lost. And then he goes out, and he searches and hunts until he finds that sheep. He brings it home on his shoulders, and he walks in. That animal that is valuable to him, that represents part of his livelihood. He calls his friends together, and you'll notice here, he says here in verse 6 and 7, Luke chapter 15, 6 and 7, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. And then Jesus says, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just persons who have no need of repentance. The focus of Jesus telling that story is to illustrate what heaven thinks when individuals give their hearts and lives to him. It's a picture of heaven, of God, of the angels. They rejoice when somebody gives their lives in loyalty to God. The next story is in uh, verses 8 through 10. This lady has a, uh, a number of coins and she loses one of these coins. Now, Understand the context. This was an era and time, a culture, where there was no social security, and when there was a marriage, the bride received a dowry, typically in coins. And those coins represented not only sentimental, romantic uh, 
value, but it was also her financial security. If her husband was killed or her sons died and she was left without support, she could always fall back on the sale of those coins so it had significant security as well as monetary value. She loses one of these coins and she turns around and does her spring cleaning, her summer cleaning, her fall cleaning, her winter cleaning, pulls everything together, sweeps the yard, sweeps the house, finds the coin and calls all of her lady friends together and says, Wow, I found my coin! Wow! And then the climax of this in verse 10, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, a picture of what heaven thinks, of how heaven regards our salvation and our value. What sort of a picture is this giving us of God? But the real focus here that I'd like to think about is the third story, the prodigal son. And here in this story, I'd like, I'm going to go through it quickly. I'll reference some key verses here so you can follow if you wish. But there's a wealthy man who has two sons. And uh, the younger boy comes to his father in verse 12 and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because I'd like to have my inheritance, my legacy. Now, think what that meant to that father. I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance. It wasn't very polite. But then what happens is he, uh, he uh, divided to them his livelihood. Now, friend, the picture here is of a father with two sons. The father, I'll jump ahead, represents our heavenly father. And catch the picture here. The f earthly illustration is this wealthy man asks, his, his son comes up and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I wish you were dead. I want it now. And interestingly, the father agrees. And he divides his inheritance. Now, for point of illustration, let's imagine that this is a home that you own. And your two children, one of them comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I'd like my inheritance. And for point of illustration, let's imagine that your home is worth $300,000. And so you get it evaluated, and you go to the bank and take from your savings, or you borrow the money, and you give $100,000 to this child of yours. And then the Bible says in verses 14, he went and spent it in lavish, prodigal living. He wasted it. Now, what does this tell us about God? The picture, the story is to illustrate what the Father is like. And here, Jesus is saying to us that our Heavenly Father not respects us so much that he recognizes our freedom of choice. And even though he doesn't agree with it any more than that earthly father did, he gives us the freedom of choice. And not only that, but he enables the wasted prodigal living. What is this saying about God, the Father? God enabled that prodigal lifestyle. Now, parent, <laughs> I have three boys 
Thankfully, a couple of them are here this morning. If they came to me and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'd like to have our inheritance. And I knew, you know, as much as I can know in advance, that they would go off and waste it. I think I would find that very hard. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? But that's the father. And so the boy goes off and he wastes his money. And one day, there's a recession in the land and all of his questionable investments in the markets go south and he comes out bankrupt. He has absolutely nothing. And he ends up feeding pigs for an employer. And in the Jewish culture, there was nothing worse. There was nothing lower than having to sit and to feed pigs. So he takes the husks. I mean, that's the, the leaves off the corn husks. And he takes those cobs, and he's feeding them to the pigs. And he's so hungry, he's eating these corn husks. And all of a sudden, he has a aha experience. You know, <laughs> My father's employees are better off than I am. Why don't I go and say, Dad, I've sinned, and please don't regard me as a son because I've already gotten my inheritance. Just employ me as a, an employee. And maybe my dad, maybe my dad will have sympathy because I am related to him and he might employ me as his employee. So he comes home. And you know the story. He's walking along, thinking, rehearsing his little speech. Dad, I've sinned. I've done this terrible things. Please don't regard me as a son. All I'm, I'm so hungry. I just need to have. And what does he do? His father, the Bible tells us, is sitting a, a long ways off. And when he sees this boy, and every parent can recognize the walk of their child. And he sees his son, and he starts running and here is this older gentleman running like crazy. And he runs and throws his arms around this boy and says, Oh, I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad you're home, Dad, son. And the boy starts to stammer, Dad, Dad, I have sinned. And the, <laughs> the father, what does he do? He says, Servants, employees, come over here. Take off a coat. And he takes his coat and he wraps it around. Get the best coat. And he takes the ring off of his fingers. And in that society, when their documents were made out of clay, it was the signet ring that was the signature stamp. It was like a legal document stamp that we have in some of the corporations of today. And he would stamp it. The owner of that ring was the owner of the property. And he takes that off and he says, My son, put it on your finger. He reinstates him completely and totally into the family. That's the father. <laughs> and not only that, not only that, he says, guys, go down to Washington, D.C., go down to Baltimore and get the biggest band and get the best catering service. We're going to have the most fantastic, incredible party that my, our town has ever seen. And so they start pulling everything together in the biggest barbecue you ever wanted to imagine. And then it says here, it says, the older brother comes home. Now remember, the father represents God. And the older son comes closer at the end of the day, and he hears, in verse 25, the music and the dancing. And he asks the employees, what, what's going on? 
And it says here, they said, your, verse 27, your brother is coming because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Now the father is God. And notice, both boys are lost. One has wasted his living. And the other guy has stayed at home. And the father is going out for both of them. This boy represented the people who live really good lives. The churchgoers, if you please. <laughs> now what does he say? Now I want you to notice, take your Bibles please. You should notice the four accusations that the older brother makes against the father. Four accusations. Number one, he answered and said to his father, verse 29, Lo, these many years I have served you. He pulls out, he pulls out the card of seniority. I've served longer than my younger brother. And I have never transgressed or disobeyed your commands. I have a perfect record of obedience. You can go down my HR record and you will find that there's not one complaint made against me. I've got a perfect record, Dad. And yet you never have given me a goat that I could have a party with my friends for. In other words, you've not treated me equally. And then verse 30. And as soon as this son of yours, <laughs> he wouldn't even call him his brother. As soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Accusation number four, you, this scoundrel who deserves less gets more. This was the accusation of the older brother and now the father says in verse 31 and he said to him son you're always with me and all that I have is yours it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found now friends in my family the Thorpe family my mom and dad had five children my oldest brother is deceased there's four of us alive. I am the middle child. I have an older brother, a younger sister, and a younger brother. Now, in our family, if my younger brother had pulled a stunt like this younger brother did, I wouldn't be a happy camper. <laughs> Would you? If in your family, if in your family, as a child in your family, your sibling takes, asks, insults your parent by saying, I want my inheritance now, I wish you're dead, and then goes off and completely wastes it and disgraces the family and then comes home, would you be happy if your parent accepted you like that? Would you? I'd be honest. You see why I say God is not fair? The Father represents God. And God is represented by this Father. And the Father is not giving fair, humanly fair, treatment to these boys. Now friend, this illustrates a very, very profound concept. 
Jesus introduced a completely new understanding about what God was like, and it's called grace. Grace is where the Father treated the Son better than He deserved. Grace is treating somebody better than they deserve. I'd like to invite you to repeat that with me. Grace is treating a person better than they deserve. Say it again with me. Grace is treating a person better than they deserve. The Father was not fair. Now, I want you to catch another illustration, another story that Jesus told, which emphasizes the point that, that God really isn't fair, at least by our standards. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. And I'm going to need some help here. Uh, so, some of you, I'm going to invite you to come and volunteer because I, I'm going to need some assistance here. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And again, I'm going to summarize a few key points. The setting is verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, it's the autumn. And this wealthy landowner has a big vineyard, and it's time to pick the grapes. It's time to bring the harvest in. And so uh, he goes out at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, that's typically when the day began, 6 o'clock in the morning. And so uh, he, uh, he goes out and he, and he says here, he agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day and sent them into the vineyard. Now, uh, I uh, am going to need some help here to illustrate this point. Uh, Dr. Vern, could I ask you to come up and please help me? I, uh, I need um, not an old member of the church. I need a long time member of the church. And I see Brother Heisner just stepped out. I was going to pick on him, but I'm going to pick on you in, 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 in your stead here. He's been picking on your foot. Somebody, he just asked me if somebody's been picking on my foot. Well, um, I uh, strained a few muscles back here in my Achilles tendon, and so <laughs> in this case. Now, we have a illustration here that Jesus says. And I'd like to ask you to please imagine with me that I am the landowner. I've got this big vineyard. I'm this farmer and I've got this big vineyard and I need people to work to pick the grapes. And I'd like to ask, would you be willing to work for me for a day? I'll pay you fairly. Uh, the uh, the uh, minimum wage here in Maryland is $8.25 but I'll make it 20 bucks an hour because these grapes are valuable. And I need 12 hours of work, 6 o'clock in the morning till 6 at night. And so that's $240. And I'll pay you at the end of the day if you'd be willing to work for me for, for $240 for today. Would you be willing to do that? Okay. Okay. Now, all you attorneys who are looking at the contracts, we've got the parties, we've got the term, the date, the amount, all of those things, okay? We're in agreement. We've got a contract, so let's shake on that. $240 we're going to give you for today, okay? He's starting at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, let's, let's go on a little bit further. It says here, now you just, just stay there. It says here, uh, and he went out at about the third hour. That's 9 o'clock in the morning. Pastor, um, Pastor... Um, I am not very good with remembering names, particularly when I tend to be a little bit nervous. So, Pastor uh, Wilsey, I, uh, I'm going to ask you to come. You're a long-time, uh, not an old member, but a long-time member of this congregation. You've served with I've, distinction. So, 
uh, would, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, I need some people working in the, to pick my grapes. Would you be willing to work, and I'll pay you fairly for your work for the day? Would you do that? Of course. Okay, boy, he's a willing volunteer. So here's the man who started at 6, and here's at 9 in the morning. And now we come on along a little bit further, and it says here, verse 5, he went out about the 6th and the ninth hour. Marilyn, would you please uh, come and join us? Uh, one of our elders, uh, I want you to imagine that this is now noon. Would you be willing to work for me uh, for six hours? It's just half a day. Uh, it's hot right now, I know, but would you be willing to, to do that? Sure. Okay, so here we have uh, 12 noon, okay? Now, let's go on a little bit further. It says there, and at, uh, at the uh, ninth hour, so we, the ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon. I need somebody a little bit younger here. Somebody, do I have a volunteer here? Oh, I see some people pointing fingers back and forth here. <laughs> okay, uh, one of you, uh, would you mind coming up? And uh, here is somebody who is starting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I'm going to, uh, uh, first of all here, come on up here. And uh, so, uh, what is your name? Stephanie. Stephanie, okay. Uh, we've got three hours left in the day, and I'm, I promise you I'll pay you what is fair. Were you willing to do that? Thanks, Stephanie. Okay, now it says here, going a little bit further, and it's at the 11th hour. That's at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, uh, I need another volunteer, a younger person. Yes, would you mind coming up, please? Thank you. Okay, and... Uh, here is somebody who is going to represent the person who was employed at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, what's your name? Nina. Tina? Well, I want you to... We've only got an hour left. The sun is almost setting, but I'll pay you fair. you, you got some spending money to spend over there at the Spencerville Adventist Academy. You know, I know they will appreciate that. Okay, now I need one more young person who is willing to help. Uh, do I have a volunteer here? Somebody want to help? Okay, I have a young man here. Oh, have him... Well, let's see now. Uh, somebody else, come on over. Oh, yes, sure, you come on up, son. And I need somebody here to be the paymaster, the person who's going to distribute all the money. Okay? Now, um, what's your name, son? David. You're David. Well, look at David. You're the chief financial officer in my farm. Okay? And I want you to pay these people who've all worked, okay? So I'm going to give you some money here in a little bit. And I want you to distribute it, okay? Now, get the picture, David. That man over there has worked all day, 12 hours. He's sweated out there in the sun. He's picked many, many buckets of grapes. And this lady, she's at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. This is 6, 9, 12, 3, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I've agreed to pay that man over there $240. But here, I want you to, do you know what that is? Can you, do you know what that is, it says? How much is that? Um, it's $240. $240, okay. Now, I will, here, you take that money, okay? And I want you to give this to this girl right here, okay? For one hour of work, she earns $240. Hold it up real high, okay? $240. And now... I want you to take another 240. I want to give it to this lady who's worked just three hours. Now, you tell me, when he sees her get $240 for one hour of work, what is he thinking? I'm outraged. 
<laughs> what is he thinking? He's outraged. <laughs> if this happened in the state of Maryland, friends, I would go to prison. <laughs> I would be hauled in before an employment court. And so here, now, I want you to give away the rest of this money. $240 for Andy Maryland over there, okay? And another $240 here for Pastor Wilsey. I mean, you're distributing a lot of money here. And everybody gets the same amount. And he's thinking, not fair, not fair, not fair. I'm outraged. But who has done this? <laughs> who does the father, who does the landowner represent, friends? It's God. And what Jesus was illustrating here was the concept of grace. God, you've got to admit it, God is not fair by human standards. By human standards, God is not fair because he doesn't treat us the way we think we should be treated. Jesus was teaching the point that salvation by grace is not because of what we work and what we earn. It's not the person who has spent years and years in dedicated service and, and, uh, and his resources for the church. Not at all compared... Oop, David, sorry for stepping on your toe. You're going to be wearing a boot like I do pretty soon here. Uh, or, or like this lady who's only worked for an hour. Jesus was saying that salvation and the, st and the standing that we have before God is based on his grace, not on his goodwill, on his desire to treat us the way he chooses. Now, folks, thank you for your help. I appreciate it. And I want you to keep that money. That's Hope Channel money, okay? <laughs> I want you to hang that up and frame, frame it, okay? But thank you. And thank you, David. In fact, I'll pay you $240 too, okay? Thank you. <laughs> so, but what was Jesus illustrating here? He was illustrating this point that there is no appeasement. You see, friends, the way our mind is designed... The way our mind is because of sin is that we think that in some way, in some way we can earn our favor or appease God in some way. And Jesus was illustrating the point and driving it home that our Father is a person of grace. And when you and I come and pray that beautiful prayer, our Father which art in heaven, it's not the image of some person here on this earth who may have given a horribly distorted per a perspective or picture of what God is like. He is saying, the Father is one of grace. Salvation is of grace. Many of you received in your bulletins this morning, I think some of you perhaps didn't get it, but I want to just draw your attention to this little statement that's in your bulletin. I discovered this the other day in my readings in the little book titled That I May Know Him. And thank you, Daryl, for providing all of this on e-format. <laughs> I discovered it on my reader. <laughs> and, and this statement, I think, is one of the most beautiful statements about how God freely accepts and restores us. Jesus sees the guilt of the past and speaks pardon. And we must not dishonor him by doubting his love. This feeling of guiltiness must be laid at the foot, of the, uh, the foot of the cross of Calvary. The sense of sinfulness has poisoned the springs of life and of true happiness. Now Jesus says, lay it all on me. 
I take your sins. I give you peace. Banish no longer your self-respect. You know, sin destroys our self-respect. But here, the invitation is, banish no longer your self-respect, for I have bought you with the price of my own blood. You are mine. Your weakened will I will strengthen. Your remorse for sin I will remove. Then turn your grateful heart, trembling with uncertainty, to him, and lay hold on the hope set before you. God accepts your broken, contrite heart and extends to you free pardon. He offers to adopt you into his family with his grace to help your weakness. And the dear Savior will lead you on step by step. You placing your hand in his and letting him guide you. When I read that, I say, wow. Wow. What a God. What a father. Not some angry dictator who wants to extract us every ounce of blood by turning us on the barbecue spits of hell forever and ever and ever and ever. No, my friend. That horrible picture of God is not biblical and it's not what Jesus was teaching of the Father. So, my friend, this morning, (laughs) I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be a gracious person. To treat people better than they deserve. To treat others like God has treated you. What about in the home? Husband, you come home. Maybe your wife has been working all day and she has gotten home a bit earlier. And you walk in the house and you smell burnt offerings. (laughs) And you're tempted to say to your wife... What's wrong with you, woman? Can't you even boil water? Or do you say, well, honey, it looks like it's been a pretty hard day. Let's go out at least to Domino's Pizzas and get a pizza feed. (laughs) Or a better restaurant. What is the approach of grace that we take with our wonderful partner? You know, as parents, we have the privilege of children growing up in our homes. And kids, as they grow up from being mommy and daddy's little boy, become their own individuals. And that own desire for individuality and identity starts to be expressed in a lot of different experimentation. And sometimes there's crazy hairdos and weird music and all sorts of things. And you look at these things and you say, oh, this is horrible, this is abominable, this isn't right, this isn't Christian. These kids are going to hell in a handbasket and I have to do something to stop them. Or do you recognize what's happening and be gracious? <laughs> Tell you a story that happened in our own family. I became very concerned about the music that my boys were listening to and my two sons can remember this day or this experience and some of this so-called <coughs> that I, I referred to it at that time as so-called Christian music and I'm relatively conser- conservative in my taste and I couldn't even understand the words of the music that they were playing and yet they were enraptured was they had their iPod, iPods and all wired up with their he- earphones and I listened to this stuff every once in a while and I said, oh my goodness, what's wrong with my boys? I've raised them differently than this. This is terrible. I can't do this. And, well, at the time we were living in Western Canada and we had to go about 80 miles south to another appointment and I thought ahead and I said, you know, I've got to straighten my kids out. 
they're going to be with me. They're going to be in the back seat, and I'm driving, and they're going to get an hour and a half sermon on good quality music. And so you know the setting. And so uh, we got in the car, and they're all wired up. They're listening. I said, guys, tell me, what's the lyrics to the music you're listening to? And I thought it was some of this 7-Eleven music, you know, take the same little phrase and repeat it 11 times and uh, do it in a way that was, you know, less than ideal. And then they started to tell me, repeat to me the words of this music. And friends, it was some of the most deep, profound theology that I have heard. And this father, shut up. I have to let them discover their own ways. And Stephen, our youngest, came here to SAA. He caught the organ bug from our Minister of Music and graduated with a degree in music performance, organ performance from Southern, and is, won't even listen to anything except it's got organ or harpsichord in it. <clears throat> Man, what a switch and a change. We need to be gracious. And God spoke to my heart about being gracious in that experience. What about the church? <laughs> you know, sometimes getting along in church is a bit harder than getting along in um, theology class <laughs> or Sabbath school class. And my friends, this concept that God treats us better than we deserve, that God is a God of grace, needs to permeate our minds, it, permeate our lives, it is the essence of the gospel of the three angels' message. It's the foundation that we are to take to the world of the message that God has entrusted to this movement, to this church. People out there need to see God as a gracious, loving God, not as a harsh dictator who is going to barbecue them on the spits of hell forever and ever and ever. Our God is a gracious God. And so, my friends, I want to encourage us to be a person of grace. Let's take our hymnals in closing. Our hymn is number 109. Marvelous grace of our gracious, wonderful God. And let's sing it. As you stand in a moment and sing this hymn with me, I'd like to invite you to come to a deeper, greater appreciation of what God is like and say, thank you, God, for your marvelous grace. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>